Okay, welcome to day 35 of our journey through Scripture. Uh, Today we're going to be in Job 33 through 34 and Matthew chapter 23. So catching up in Job chapter 33, here we pick up with the speech of Elihu. And um, he kind of um, uh, uh, introduced himself yesterday as a guy of youth who plans on exceeding um, Job's other three friends in wisdom. And so let's see what Elihu has to say. And um, I will say, by the way, that uh, there is uh, definitely a line of thought in the interpretation of Job that Elihu is actually the one who is correct out of all the human speakers here. Um, And uh, you kind of can go back and forth about that. I'm not sure I'm totally sold on that, but for those who really feel that way, um, if if you look at the end of the book of Job where God is kind of like rebuking everyone, notice how in verse 9 there, it says, Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zohar the Naamathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. So they go to Job and uh, basically ask for this. This is the fully vindicated Job who is on God, uh, you know, who's straight with God, I guess we could say. Um, he's told to pray for them. And uh, notably there, Elihu is not mentioned. So there's definitely um, a story. A, a school of thought in the interpretation of Job that El, Elihu is correct in what he says. Um, and there certainly is a good dose of correctness in it. Um, but uh, but I think he does kind of still fall short of the mark. I, I'm not sure that I'm totally convinced of that because as far as I can tell, the real error that has been playing behind the book of Job this whole time, uh, and if you've been listening, this should come as no surprise to you, is the the tit-for-tat uh, view of being righteous, and that if you are righteous, God will do you good, and if he's, you're wicked, he will, do, he will do you harm. And so if you experience harm in your life, um, then that is God um, exposing your wickedness. Uh, and I'm not sure Elihu really really clears that, uh, is, is really um, saying anything different than that. So it's kind of something interesting to, to look into. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about that, but uh, that would be the reason why I just think when you read Elihu's actual words, he doesn't sound a whole lot different from Job's other friends, at least in that respect. Um, but yeah, so in 33, he really starts to to talk, he says, you know, now hear my speech, O Job, and listen to all my words. So what does he, what does, what does he have to say? Um, so he starts off basically saying, I'm going to be more sensitive than these other guys, Job. You don't have to worry. You can kind of put your garb down. Um, behold, I am toward God as you are. I too was pinched off from a piece of clay. Behold, no fear of me need terrify you. My pressure will not be heavy upon you. So he plans on being a real nice guy and having a, a very sensitive approach to his friend who is hurting, which is good. And um, then he summarizes what he believes Job has said, and um, this is verses 8 and following, where uh, basically he hears Job say, making two points. Number one, 
I am pure and without iniquity, that this would be Job thinking. Uh, but then secondly, but God counts me as his enemy. Um, so that's essentially Elihu's understanding of what Job has said, and I think that's pretty much, you know, very, very much is an accurate representation of what Job has said in a nutshell. Um, but he's going to contend contend this. You're you're not right about this. Verse twelve. You are not in the right. I will answer you for God is greater than man. And then in verses thirteen through eighteen, there in chapter thirty three. Um, he makes the case that God does speak. God has not been silent. It's just that God, when he does speak, he speaks subtly. He doesn't, God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in the vision of a night, when deep sleep falls on men, when they slumber on their beds, he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit his life from perishing by the sword. So God is speaking, but you know maybe you're just not hearing him. Um, and then he talks, interestingly, from verse 19 through the end of the chapter, he talks about how it is actually pain that drives us to repentance. Uh, pain is one of God's ways of speaking into our life. Uh, Man is rebuked with pain on his bed, verse 19, but with continual strife and, and with continual strife in his bones, so that his life loathes bread and his appetite, the choicest food. He talks about how in pain, uh, uh, the, the man's soul draw nears the pit. Um, uh, but then, as a result of pain, ideally, in verses 26 and following, then man prays to God and, and he accepts him. He sees his face with a shout of joy, and he restores to man his righteousness. He sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what is right. This is what he hopes Job will say, right? And it was not repaid to me. He has redeemed my soul from going down into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. So I didn't get what I deserved. Praise God. That's the kind of thing that Elihu is saying here, that that um, pain and suffering drives us towards. And then you have in verses 29 and 30, Behold, God does all these things twice, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit that he might be lighted with the light of life. Um, so that's ver that's chapter 33. Then chapter 34, which is still Elihu uh, speaking, and it's interesting here how he it how it marks the continuing of his speech. It says, then Elihu answered and said, I think that's just a, obviously he's not answering himself, right? I think it's just, this is a continuation of his answer to Job. And um, I want to call your attention to verse 4. That's an interesting thing here, right? Um, <clears throat> he says, uh, Let us choose what is right. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am in the right, and God has taken away my right. Um, in spite of my right, I am counted a liar. My wound is incurable, though I am without transgressions. Um, this is basically Job saying, I'm innocent, and God has taken away my rights. I think that's the way to understand that. It's actually a little bit frustrating verse to translate because there's two two different words here. The I am right is basically I am 
righteous, the word that we would typically translate righteous, but God has taken away my justice or, or right judgment or, or something along those lines. Uh, those, are, those are two different words in, in the Hebrew. Elihu is summarizing Job as, as essentially saying, I'm righteous, but God has wronged me. He has deprived me of something. He has deprived me of, of justice. Um, and, and, as, and then the conclusion that Job has reached as a result of this, in, that Elihu spells out in verses 7 through 9, is even more disturbing. Um, uh, what, is, what man is like Job who drinks up scoffing like water? who travels in company with evildoers and walks with wicked men. Notice notice he's he's accusing Job of something he did not do, right? The book has made clear Job is a righteous man. Um, that's not to say he's never sinned, but in, in terms of the portrait that we have access to in the book of Job, this is not part of his personality profile. And so, again, this would be one reason why I'd, I'd be a little hesitant to say that uh, we should totally give a thumbs up to everything that Elihu says. But at any rate, this is what he says uh, says about Job. And then he says, verse 9, this is the thing that I think really, the conclusion that Job has been reaching, which I think Elihu is right about, um, that that really has, has put Job's thinking over the line. So verse 9 says, For he said, It profits a man nothing that he should take delight in God. And um, Elihu wants to oppose that with every fiber of his being. Um, so he comes back at him. Um, Therefore, hear me, you men of understanding. Verse 10, far be it from God that he should do wickedness and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. Okay, um, far be it from God that he would do wickedness. Uh, God will not do wickedly or pervert justice. Um, verse 12, uh, Job is unrighteous, in essence, because he is impugning God. And uh, that's essentially his message there in chapter 34. Uh, you see that underscored by the way he ends the chapter, verses 34 through 37. Men of understanding will say to me, and the wise man who hears me will say, Job speaks without knowledge, his words are without insight. Would that Job were tried to the end, because he answers like wicked men, for he adds rebellion to his sin. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. So Elihu really sees himself as defending God here and um, against Job's attacks, and uh, or what he perceives to be Job's attacks. Uh, and so, yeah, there's some sense in which some of, some of what he's saying is kind of fresh. It's definitely kind of interacts more and summarizes Job's thinking, I think, a little bit better than the other three guys did. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, he too is operating on this assumption that Job is this wicked man who must have deserved this. Okay, let's look at Matthew chapter 23. Um, so this is Jesus's, um, rebuke of the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the, the Jewish religious establishment, but especially the Pharisees. And he begins by saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Um, that essentially means that they, uh, they teach according to the Torah. They are um, basically the voice of Moses in this society. If you, if you want, especially the scribes, right? You got to remember, not everybody was literate at this time. The, not everybody was an expert in the 
Hebrew Bible, and so they're the ones who mediate what Moses has written um, to you. So do and observe whatever they tell you, uh, but not the works they do. Um, do so. Do do what they say, and but don't do what they do. Um, and that's that's interesting, right? Because not everything that they say is going to be perfect. We've already seen that Jesus has bones to pit with, pick with them over interpretation, over things uh, that they say, over things that they teach. Uh, but in general, these guys are trying to teach you the Word of God, and you are to come into the kingdom of heaven like little children. So hear, you hear them. Do Listen to them. Um, not everything that they do is bad. In fact, following it, you'll probably do better than you would otherwise. Um, but his problem with them, his problem with these guys, is not that their teaching is so off. I mean, aside from what they think about him, right? But that aside, uh, it, it's not that their teaching is so crazy, right? Like trying to figure out what does it mean to work on the Sabbath and things like that. Okay, uh, they're, they're trying to teach the Word of God, but their problem is that they are hypocrites. Um, and this is this this is this uh, this is the chapter word that really kind of gets hammered in. This idea that Jesus is bone to pick with the Pharisees is that they don't do what they preach. Uh, they they put heavy burdens on people that they themselves won't lift. Um, and um, verses five to six. They do their deeds to be seen by others. They love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue. Right? This is totally antithetical to what uh, Jesus has been saying is the value of the kingdom of God, where the first are last and the last are first, and whoever wants to be the the first among you should be the servant. Right? And these guys are taking the the seats of high honor and and and, and love that. Um, they also love being called rabbi and father and instructor. Um, but he says, don't call and don't look to anyone like that. And that doesn't mean that there's no such thing as a teacher, that, that there's no such thing as somebody who, who teaches doctrine in the church or somebody who bears authority in the church because they're an elder or something like that, right? The New Testament has that. But the point here is that these are honorific titles within the kingdom of God, as, as if being a teacher or being an instructor or being a leader of some sort somehow makes you above other people. It doesn't. And yet the Pharisees kind of have that attitude, and that's what Jesus is upset at them about. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it, they, these guys are hypocrites. And so he, he reminds us, uh, whoever exalts himself, this is verse 12, will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So that's the problem, the real problem that the scribes and Pharisees had. In terms of interpretation of this law or that law, that can be corrected. <laughs> um, but the when the problem is so deeply in the heart, that's when you have someone that, no, you, you should not, do not follow them. Uh, listen to what they have to say, but do not do as they do. Um then he starts pronouncing woes directly on them, which is a serious thing. If you read like the book of Isaiah, for example, like uh, chapter five-ish, uh, you're going to find all these woes on all these nations. That is not a good thing to receive a biblical woe. But here is Jesus, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Um, and then he talks about how they shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
Um, he talks about how they don't themselves enter the kingdom and they make it impossible for other people to, to enter the kingdom. Um, they talk about how dedicated they are when a proselyte um, presents him or herself. This is somebody who later in life uh, decides to become Jewish and they go out of their way to welcome someone else in. But once they're in, they make that person twice as much a child as hell as they are. Um, so, yeah, not good stuff. Then he starts calling them blind guys um, and blind got gu- not blind guys, <laughs> blind guides. Um, uh, guys, uh, guys who do this stuff that is just totally out of line and ki- kind of ridiculous. So... Uh, they they say that it's it's nothing to swear by the temple, but it but it is something if you swear by the gold of the temple. Like look how silly that is, right? Like what is it that makes the temple precious? That God is there, not because of what it's made out of. Um, he talks about how they tithe all kinds of stuff, mint, dill, and cumin, but they neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, which is interesting, right? Because they give what they're supposed to. They When the offering plate comes around, and yet they're not committed to justice, they're not committed to mercy, and they're not committed to faithfulness. And Jesus's point is not stop, stop giving and then go do this instead. No, it's do both. This you should have done. You should do both this and the weightier matters of the law, which... And I just want to make a comment that that is something that we should think of as significant because there is definitely a strain of thought, and I think I think I've addressed this too a, a little bit when I started talking about um, different different degrees of punishment in the final judgment. I uh, talked about this during when he was talking about um, Chorazin and Bethsaida and uh, how it would be more judge- bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would for them. Well, here we have to see this concept of the weightier matters of the law. And again, it kind of puts the lie to this idea, which is popular in a, a lot of Christian circles, that all sin is exactly equal in God's eyes. No, it's not. Some commandments are more severe than others, are more serious than others. Um, that's not to say that God doesn't want you keeping the ones that are maybe lesser, um, he cares about all of them. He wouldn't have said it if he didn't. It's just that uh, there, there is, we should be able to distinguish between things that are that are close, really close to the heart of God, and things maybe that are a little bit more peripheral. Um, okay. Uh, then he begins with a. He goes in with a bunch of um, a bunch of metaphors. Um, this idea that they they have a really clean outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is is filthy. He calls them whitewashed tombs. These tombs that are decorated and look nice, but inside they're full of dead bones. Uh, so these very stunning word pictures here. Um, and then he ends uh, by talking about how um, these are the guys, you Pharisees, you love to go around to all the tombs of the holy people, the prophets the righteous people, and said, well, if I had been living in that day, I would have been on this guy's side, okay? And and in doing, because I, I suppose because of their self-confidence and their own righteousness and things like that, they show themselves to be not really the caliber of humble prophets who understood that in the presence of God, uh, none is righteous and, 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 and preached mercy and forgiveness and justice and faithfulness. And uh, 
And here these guys who ignore all that stuff are decorating their tombs. And so Jesus says they testify against themselves that they would have been actually the guys who were stoning the prophets back then. They're a brood of vipers. They're serpents. Um, and, and, uh, and, and Jesus then characterizes them and kind of like lumps this in with this, this corporate reality of the people of God who had rejected prophets of old. He says, therefore I send you, this is verse 34, prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. You see what he's saying there. This He's used this language like uh, in the parable of the vineyard, for example, to refer to people, to how they treated people back then. And now he's saying, uh, taking kind of like the, the position of God, right? And he's saying, I'll be sending you more. <laughs> I'll be sending you more wise men, more scribes, the people who truly uh, understand Right? I'll be sending them, and you are going to kill them, and you are going to crucify them, and you are going to flog them in your synagogues, persecute them from town to town, and um, and when you do that, you will see what side you're really on, and uh, on you will become will come all of the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Uh, this, by the way, is the the first person, righteous person, to be killed for being righteous in the Old Testament. And then, at least one way of understanding what Jesus is saying here, Zechariah would be the last. Uh, and you could read about him in Second Chronicles chapter 24, verses 20 through 23. Um, basically, he decided to call out King Joash and was killed for it. Um, there is some question about which Zechariah he has in mind, but um, it's either it's between that or Zechariah the prophet, uh, whose book bears his name. But either way, we get the point that Jesus is speaking um, here, that that uh, that they, that on the scribes and Pharisees who are acting wickedly and doing all these hypocritical things, um, and who will, in very, very short amount of time, be persecuting those whom Jesus sends out. Uh, they will be looped in with those who have um, done very wicked things to the people that are actually on God's side, whom God has sent into the world. And then this uh, chapter closes off with a lament over Jerusalem, where Jesus kind of stands back. And, I mean, it doesn't say he doesn't go outside the city, right? He's he's still within earshot of everybody standing there. He's standing in Jerusalem, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? You see, they were responsible for their sin. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And um, so Jesus is, knows that his time is near. And so he issues one last lament of, of love over those whom he would have as his people, but who were unwilling to be his people. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. I hope this is very profitable for you. And until tomorrow, take care and bye-bye.